Blog Talk Radio. Why do I find it so hard when I know in my heart I'm letting you down every day? Letting you down every day. Why do I?
Can you hear me, Joe? Yeah, I got you. Okay, let me uh, do some maneuvering here. I'm going to 
we're on. But I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this part out. Um, <laughs> right. I use Log Talk, but it kind of I can edit it out. But I need to move to another location because I'm at Panera. <laughs> so <laughs> let me see. I gotta do it in my car because my echo's so bad. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna uh, just talk about I guess Trump and the women's movement and uh, Aziz Ansari. Is that how you say his name? How do you say his name? Uh, I think Aziz Ansari. Yeah, I think Aziz Ansari. And I had to check and look it up. I can't. I've never actually said it. Not only even. I'm not even a big fan of him. Like I just, I've never watched Master of None anything. And I guess we could talk about TV if you want. We could just, I wanted to be like free flowing, you know. Yeah, I got you. Just about stuff we argue with or talk about on Facebook. That yeah. seems to be <laughs> our thing. You know, we're not, right. you know, good conversation. I think we actually have not arguments, but. Um, yeah, yeah, we're able to skirt that line. You said what? I said we're we're able to skirt that line. Yeah, yeah, I think it usually goes. I'm a little more fiery than you, but it's, it's, you're so smart that it's like I can't get too mad. I can't be. I can't get mad for you being dumb. <laughs> Some people are so dumb. It's like God. Like you're an idiot. I can't no. talk to you. Like no. what the hell? All right, I think I'm here. All right. I can pretend like I'm starting the show and I'm going to edit all this out. But let me check and see if I can hear you all. Sure. Say something. Uh, hey, Say what's up? Else? Damn. This is Joe. Ready to talk about his <laughs> We're good. All right. I'm going to put on speakerphone. Hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. Because my, uh, my stupid phone volume doesn't get that high. All right. All right. Let's start. Welcome. Welcome to the RC Report. I am your host, RC Carlton, and I have with me a very special guest whose last name I should have tried to ask him before the show started, but I think <laughs> it's Joe Matt. How do you say your last name, Joe? You, you got it, Matt. Yeah, I got it right. Okay, I was hoping it was going to be some crazy pronunciation. Joe and I, Joe's probably my smartest Facebook friend, and I don't even know who we met through, at least on Facebook. But I wanted to bring him on a podcast to talk about television, Star Wars, the Me Too movement, Aziz Ansari, Trump, just a whole lot of issues that I think we can bring you because I'm pretty smart and Joe's pretty smart, and neither one of us are too extreme. Joe, on our page, or on my page, there was a lot of controversy over Z and Zari. There was an article in Babe magazine that basically this unidentified woman talked about a bad sexual experience that she had with them. It got a lot of attention in the media. It got a lot of attention on our on my page personally. What was your take when you read it? I mean, when I first read it, I was just kind of horrified because I am a fan of his because I'm a big Parks and Rec guy. I haven't watched a ton of his stand-up, but I really like Master of None, too. So it was just kind of like, fuck, like, not him, too. And then I read it, and obviously, you know, it's not the same as, like, Weinstein or Spacey or these other people where, you know, it, it, it always felt like it was kind of in this weird gray area. And I think that's where it went off the rails is that as soon as sexual assault gets thrown out there, a lot of people assume, you know, it's obviously going to be this criminal thing. And so when it wasn't clearly that, I think that's where we saw all the backlash. And I think that's a distraction from what we should be talking about, which is 
just because you don't commit a crime doesn't mean it was a good experience for the other person. I think that's what we need to be focused on is, you know, uh, we always talk about consent, but enthusiastic consent, making sure your partner is on the same page as you are. And I think that's what we need to be talking about. But too often now it's become, you know, the Me Too movement's gone off the rails and all this stuff, where I think most people, and especially women, they can tell the difference between what's a crime and what's uncomfortable. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I think we agree on that. I think, and I was just reading this guy who does, does, gives a lot of dating advice and a lot of, um, it turns into male advice too, called Dr. Nerlove, and I was just glancing at it before saying, and he was saying, what about the messages and what we're missing, I think, from this conversation, and hopefully we, you and I could talk about the conversation missing in general is what kind of messages are men being sent for us to act like this? Like what kind of messages are we really being sent if, like, your goal is just to get this girl in bed and lay down with her, and your only line basically is you're not going to rape her? Like that's not – like what me- – how did we get there? And I'm not killing Aziz, but I'm just saying that – I think a lot of men – that's like their line. Like, can I get this girl to have sex with me? Whether it be she's somewhat intoxicated, but there'd be a line for most men. Uh, you know, however, you can get that girl in bed. Like, that might not be – we might need to reexamine that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things with the disease thing is I think a lot of people, I think women looked at it and they were like, man, you know, that's something that's happened to me. And I think a lot of guys looked at it and were like, Shit. <laughs> I feel like they felt like, well, that's sexual assault. And then, like, have I done that? We're and all in I trouble, think, yeah. Right. And I think we need to try not to look at so much as, like, I'm in trouble so much as, all right, going forward, how am I going to act so that I never put someone in a situation where they're uncomfortable or where, or where it could come back on you, but hopefully, you know, you care about the other person enough where your own safety isn't always your only thought process, but yeah, I, think I mean, it, it does. Kind and of you look at like pop culture too. And like stuff is weird looking back, like even uh super bad, which I love still where Jonah Hill's character the whole time is just like, I want to get her so drunk that she'll sleep with me. And you're like, man, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. The message where at saying, the time remember, it was uh, just like, Oh yeah, that's hilarious. And you didn't think about yeah, it. Seems okay. Yeah. There's a, I can't remember, it might be Nerds or some movie where the guy is he's Halloween, and I can't remember the actual name of the movie, but it's Halloween. He dressed up Darth Vader, and he tricks the girl into having sex with her because she thinks it's her boyfriend, and then she loves him because he's, you know, he's actually very good when he, but that's actually right. Like, you know, the stuff that we, when I was a kid, a lot of times they would, have, they would put the woman up for sale to some degree on poker games. Like, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. those messages, like, what messages are we getting that so great and so exalted that if we trick a woman into it, that's okay. And we can offer our woman up as, like, like a poker chip, offer her sexuality up. Like, just a lot of bad, crazy messages that we got, that we get, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's that idea that, like, oh, women aren't going to give it up easily, so you've got to work for it. 
And I think if your idea of working for it is like, oh, you treat her with respect and you just try to be a decent person, yeah. then that's fine. <laughs> but too often it's like, oh, I have to coerce her. Let's get a few drinks. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you get to a point where it's just, I think the problem is it becomes all about you getting off really. And it's not about the woman at all. And I think there's got to be some give and take there. I mean, to be fair to Aziz, he would go down on her. But then that doesn't immediately like clear him for whatever he wants. Yeah. And, and that the whole situation is murky because there was some consent and there was no, well, there, there wasn't verbal non-consent and then he stopped. But there, it was just murky. And what about the, and we'll talk about the reaction. You, you hinted on that. But before I forget that, what about just how Babe handled it? I don't know if he followed the Ashley Danfield comments and the email that the uh, writer sent to her, but just in general, how did, what did you think of the article itself and how it presented the situation? Um, you know, I didn't think about it that hard originally. I read a Jezebel piece that kind of brought up the point where we're, you know, a year ago even, writing about sexual assault was generally something that wasn't a big thing. Like, there were certain writers, usually women, who would try to write about it and get it some publicity, but it never blew up. But now it's become this thing where it's like a prestige thing. Like, you want to get the next sexual assault story. And, I mean, I, I think Babe probably saw this as an opportunity. And to be fair, you know, that's how journalists think to a degree. But I think they were probably too amped up that they got this story that they didn't think about how it would be received, the t- potential re- repercussions on not just the woman, but the movement, because they really didn't present it in a way that kind of presented the idea that this isn't your normal, this isn't what we've thought of as sexual assault. And so it lost all the nuance. And I think that was a mistake on their part. They needed to do a better job of setting the table for what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think. And I, think I, I assume with those emails and stuff like that, they were the ones who sought out this woman, not the other way around, which I think is an important distinction when we talk about this. Talk about it because I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Give me more information on that. Um, I, mean, I just read that in that piece, and then I saw another woman on Twitter linked to, uh, I guess the editor of Babe gave some interviews and mentioned that, you know, they heard the story through someone else, and so then they sought okay. out this woman to get the complete story. But so, yeah, gotcha. so when people okay. are like, oh, why didn't she go to the police? It's like, well, she didn't even go to them. They sought her out. Mm-hmm. And I don't I, – I think it can be instructive, but it, it's hard to have an honest conversation about these things because you have the extreme – and I'm not saying that uh, she should have said no is the extreme. I, I don't see the extreme of like, I mean, I guess vi- there was some extreme I saw on my page, but like victim shaming. You don't want to shame the victim. And, of course, we're two men talking about this, and I thought about having a woman, but I think it was smart enough to have the conversation. But you don't want to victim shame, but you still want to give her some accountability for being verbal. And at the same time, like some of what I experienced online from it was that, like, just be quiet and listen to the woman, and da-da-da-da-da, and, like, anytime a woman claims sexual assault, 
or whatever, they're automatically right, or if they say pay discrimination or whatever, that they're automatically right. It's a fine line, like, to try to converse and try to, to like, go through this stuff and talk about it and have a good intellectual conversation. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's also it's a very emotional issue for a lot of people, and that obviously complicates yeah. things. One, uh, one good, like, example to try to think about it that I heard recently, I forget the comedian, but this one was talking, I don't even know if it was sexual assault, but I think it applies well, where if your bike gets stolen and someone, and you tell that to someone, they're like, well, did you lock it? Maybe you did lock your bike. Maybe you didn't. Either the way, you're not the one who did something wrong. So, like, yeah. when people say, like, oh, you should take this step, like, don't drink too much, don't do that. It's not necessarily bad to think about those things. Like, I think, obviously, I think if this woman could go back, she would probably be more informed in saying no. But that doesn't make it her fault if he's still, you know, she says, I'm uncomfortable, and then he's like, all right, how about you go down on me? That's not really the prop, a good response there. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, he could, he needs to do better. Where she could have done certain things that maybe changed the situation, but he's the one who's ultimately at fault. She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't force him to do something. Yeah. And she didn't, I mean, she did say slow down at one point. But then again, he didn't force yeah. her, you know, which is why he's not at yeah, you know, yeah. criminal charges or whatever. But it is, a, just as a human being, it's like, if somebody says slow down, may, well, I, I, I guess a guy's like thinking that's a yellow light and most people run through yellow lights. But maybe you, start, you ought to start to be like chill out or, but he had a goal in mind and he wanted that goal accomplished because he, so he basically dehumanized her. Lack of empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe people expect that from him because he's a celebrity, but he's just kind of just a man and he had a goal. I think, I think on that too, but it's like where I come from, if I got my bike stolen, a lot of my family would be like, well, you know, you shouldn't have went in that neighborhood. You shouldn't have like locked the bike up. You shouldn't have had a bike or like, okay, if you go in a bad neighborhood and I'm telling this to one of my friends, it's like, if you go in a bad neighborhood, you you don't deserve to be robbed, but it's reasonable to assume that you might be robbed. So it's like you have to teach, I think, both. I think men and women. Men should do better and not be fucking predators. And then women, <laughs> we just have to be realistic about the world we live in and not blame you because you're naive, but, like, this is the world we live in, and if you go – and this is where I might get in trouble. But if you go to a man's house, he's not allowed to rape you. He's not allowed to sexually assault you. But he's going to be looking for sex. Like, it's a complicated thing, you know what I mean? Not to put yourself in certain situations. I don't think that's wrong to tell someone. Right. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a fine line somewhere here, and it's hard to walk on the right side of it. But I, I think that's almost one of the things we have to change, though, is like, oh, she's come to my house. That means I should expect sex. It means you should still be paying attention to her and communicating with her about where you guys are going. From And I think that's another people like, oh, it's, that takes the fun out of it or blah, 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 if you ask. It's like if you both want to have sex, you're going to want to have sex whether or not you actually talk of like, if you talk about it, you're still going to want it. You're yeah. not going to be like, oh, shit, you asked me. I'm killed the vibe. Like, that's not going to happen if you really want to have sex. 
Yeah. I think a lot of guys are saying that too about like uh, with the Zeke situation on the page, on the sports page now we're switching over, but they were like, he took it, he he pulled it off and she pulled her own uh, boobs out at the Marty, well, what was it, St. Patrick's Day thing. I'm like, it's her, it, they're her boobs. She gets to choose if she wants to show them. So she obviously had a negative reaction to him pulling them out, but then later she showed. And then the guy's like, see, see, no, it's hers. Like, she gets to choose if she wants to flash everybody, not him, you know. But the, the way a lot of people think is just because, like, it's almost like if you, you talk about this on the page, um, like if the man gets permission one time, He's got like the green light, or if a right, you have the green light for that one time if she gives it to you. It doesn't mean yeah. next time that you're yeah. good to go. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of men think like that. It's like you get it forever, and then it can be confusing because you know, obviously, if you've got a wife, you've got a girlfriend, you don't have to ask permission every time to smack her ass. Like, but it's like, but you in your heart, you know, the lines of what's been established, and she's probably told you what she likes, what she doesn't like. You know, it's kind of. But a lot of guys confuse that with somebody else that might not be as established in your relationship. I mean, you just have to have, I don't know, men are bad at reading women's signs, so that hurts too. But let's switch to the, uh, let's switch to the reaction. How did you feel about the reaction? I mean, I mean, like I said, I think this is an emotional issue. I also think it's one of those things that we're, we're viewing a massive change in how we look at these things and how we deal with them. And that always freaks people out. Like, no matter what's happening, it freaks people out. And I, I think, obviously, I think that this movement is good. I think the way we're – I mean, the way that we're talking about the Aziz thing, I think this is a good step. But it freaks people out. You know, everyone's always worried about a witch hunt. And, I mean, the reality is, you know, sexual assault has been massively underreported for years. Like, every study shows that. And, I, I mean, to be fair, there's going to be guys who are accused that are innocent because that does happen. But even, like, the most liberal estimate of that would say that, like, one in ten guys maybe. And that's being optimistic on the guy's side. So I think we're, the reality is the underreporting is still the much bigger problem, and that's what we still need to be focused on from my perspective. And so I think people are just freaking out. And then once things settle down and we start, move, we start moving more, like once people get the idea that men are entitled to sex with women because she went on a date with you or went in your house or whatever, I think then we'll be able to have more constructive conversation because right now too many people are just scared of the idea of, well, it's like you get the, like, oh, if you say something in the office now, you're going to be sexual assault. It's like, just chill out. Women aren't crazy. Like, <laughs> I think there's this idea that, like, <laughs> women are just going to go nuts now saying whatever they want, and that's just not the reality. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, about victimhood and about shame and for anybody, but, you know, women are more susceptible to right in our society to being shamed sexually is that it's not something that people naturally want to fake. Like the, the, the amount of people that falsely accuse men of rape is, is a rather rare thing and falsely accuse them of these sexual assaults. Now, granted, one part of the movement that, that I think is a weakness, not, on its, not the movement itself, but just its origin, is that it started with, like, Hollywood. 
So you already, it's not real life. It's not real people. Obviously, these women, women were victimized, and that's wrong. But you're starting with people that have been very successful and millionaires, and then you can always save money. So when I hear people in bars, men, women, every, it doesn't matter. And when I hear people in bars, especially when I'm in the country area of my or where I live at, they was like, oh, yeah, they just want to get paid. They just want to get paid. And you hear that anytime there's an athlete or an actor or a musician, you always hear, oh, they want to get paid. They want to get paid. And it's like, to me, sometimes that drowns out the legitimate argument. But at the same time, who's going to report about Becky at the office that nobody knows that works at the Capital One is being sexually harassed? So it's like, it's a hard it, it, it's, uh, it, it makes things more complicated, and people are easier to dismiss it because, you know, there are still people that think Bill Cosby, the women are after money. Like, come on. Right. I mean, and that's the other thing, too, is there's all, like, if there's one accuser, you know, I, I obviously think because statistically we know women don't usually lie about this for a lot of reasons, that if there's one accuser, I assume she's telling the truth, but I'm never going to be, like, definitively, like, that guy's a rapist or that guy's an assaulter or whatever. But there's a tipping point. Like, Bill Cosby, it's, like, what, 60 <laughs> women now? And there's still people that are, yeah. he got framed and this and that, and it's just insane. But I, I, I agree, yeah. like, I, I've seen that as well, where it becomes, it's about this, money. And uh, I think that's one of the good things about uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of the name of the organization that the women just started in Hollywood, but a big part of what they're going to do is have money for the average woman so that when there are yeah. cases, that they'll be able to access resources. And I think that's a huge yeah, thing. Yeah, saying that. And it, too, it's like, okay, it depends on the situation. Like, some people are talking about they want the money, like the NFL Network guys that got accused. So you got this makeup artist who's been sexually harassed, without a doubt. A lot of girls either didn't deny it or, like Warren Sapp, actually put the dildo on Twitter to show what he sent her for Christmas. Like, so she got sexually harassed in her job, left her job. You don't think she should be compensated? Like, when it's a work-related thing, you don't think these women should be compensated because these men couldn't control themselves? You don't think that they're owed some sort of compensation for having to get another job if they could get a job? Like, sometimes money is a recourse. That's why it's there in a legal form. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, let's switch to uh, that heavy subject to start off with. Uh, <laughs> give me your, your thoughts on the government shutdown, and who do you think ultimately will turn out the winners and the losers in the government shutdown? Well, obviously, you know, you know me, anyone who doesn't, obviously, I, you know, I'm coming from a more liberal perspective, so I'll be open to, like, that fact. But, but I mean, from, from where I'm coming from, this is all pretty much Trump. And I'm not even saying, like, Republican. I'm saying Trump specifically. Because, I mean, the reality is if he never revokes the DACA policy that Obama had, there's not a government shutdown right now. And then, I mean, the Senate had worked it, had almost worked out a deal earlier this week that was going to give him a lot of things. It was going to get more money for border security, not a wall, which maybe that's the problem. But the reality is a wall is not even really going to help stop illegal immigration. So he's going to get money for actual things that would stop illegal immigration. 
He was they're going to get changes to the way our immigration policy works. And apparently there were still going to be too many people from, quote, shithole countries. So that was a problem for him. <laughs> but he's getting all these yep. changes that he wants. And even the people who are going to be allowed to stay under DACA, who, again, are people who came here as children, they didn't choose to break any laws. They've grown up in the United States. They are, in every respect outside of birth and legality, they're Americans. They weren't even going to be able to sponsor their parents under the deal. So he's getting all these concessions. So Republicans could say they got to win. Democrats could say they got to win. No shutdown. And instead, he's just like, no, this doesn't work anymore. When oh, two weeks ago, he was saying, oh, I'm fine with a straight DACA vote outside of everything else, even though that wasn't his policy because he doesn't understand his policy. No. He's standing in the way because he doesn't even know what he wants from day to day, hour to hour. If any other Republican is in power, even like Ted Cruz is in power, there's no shutdown right now. So this isn't – it's definitely not a sentence fault. I think there's some people in the House, the Freedom Caucus people who are problematic – so the reality is this government would be functioning right now if there was any leadership in the White House. That's my perspective. As far as who wins, I have no idea because on the one hand, I think it's, you know, Republicans are in a tough spot because they're in power. On the other hand, if maybe they'll be able to portray this as Democrats valuing illegal immigrants over the average American and national security. So I don't know which one of those narratives it really comes through. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think he loses though because he just got the damn tax cut. They, uh, Apple had good news about building plants here or whatever the hell they do. They're bringing back, bringing money here, bringing business here, and it looked like he was starting to win. And people could say every time it looks like he's actually doing something, he finds a way to shoot himself in the foot. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. Even on DACA stuff, like he. He said he was at the meeting. He was like, yeah, I'll take a clean DACA bill. And then, literally, they had to send other people like Tom Cotton and other conservatives in the meeting. I don't know if it was that meeting or the next meeting to tell him that they don't want that stuff. Like, this is not what your constituency wants because he's about to sell them out because he doesn't understand or he doesn't care. scary how easy it can be to manipulate him. And I'm not a Trump, like, sky is falling kind of person. But especially after coming after the book, it's really scary how easily he can be manipulated. All you got to do have the right thing on Fox and Friends, and you can get to it. <laughs> and, and, yeah, the, well, the other crazy part about that is when you watch that meeting, and if you have any understanding of what go, is going on, you realize it's a disaster. Like, he doesn't know what his policy is. But then you have all these conservative publications and news stations saying, like, oh, he proved the book wrong, that he understands things, and he could run a meeting. He couldn't. Like... <laughs> No, there's just such a, only if you look at the highlights. <laughs> only if you look yeah. at the highlights. Not if you watch the whole thing. I mean, I and I always really low with him. It's so low. It's it's incredible. Like you think about what the bar was under George Bush, who obviously is like so many liberals hated and despised and thought he was an idiot. It's light years further up than what Trump has. <laughs> like. It really he forms is. complete sentences, and it's a win. And you're just like, my God, how did this happen? <laughs> it is really scary, too. And the thing, the thing that just from hearing about the book, I didn't read the book. I've been tempted, but I listened to a lot of interviews with the authors. And obviously, I heard 
endless media coverage. I mean, it makes so much sense. And again, I people, I am not Joe's the liberal. I'm the barely hanging on rhino Republican, maybe moderate. I wear Joe Scarborough and John McCain and even Lindsey Graham. I don't know what the hell Lindsey Graham's doing lately, but that's the kind of Republican I am. So let's put it on the record. But like, dementia just seems right. If you look at him ten years ago, what he could say. I even heard a thing. Um, about the government shutdown in 2013 under Obama, and he was able to conform, form complete sentences enough to say it was Obama's fault. But now, like, he just speaks and, like, spurts and just hype and, and emphasizes certain words. Like, you really can see, like, the deterioration of this person. And if you go back to 1999 and 2000 when he was flirting, he was, you could even say he was articulate. It's kind of scary. He was. Yeah, I read, like, excerpts from interviews, and you're like, wow, like, He's right about this, and he laid it out really well. <laughs> it's such a contrast that, yeah, I, it is disturbing because it's hard not to wonder about his mental state from multiple perspectives. Two things, uh, and first, this will be the first. Do you think, and I've tried to look at it like this, do you think it's a, a, like, a good thing, I can't think of a fancy word, but a good thing or a positive that our institutions could survive a man like this in office? Um, I don't think I can answer that until he's out of office. <laughs> yeah, it's not over yet. It's not over. <laughs> it's only been a I year. mean, I, I think like like the, the key years. to looking at this, sorry to cut you off, but it's how does this Mueller stuff play out? If he fires Mueller, does Congress react? If Mueller does find, if Mueller stays on and he finds something, does Congress react? I think that's now. Obviously, if Mueller doesn't come up with something, which would surprise me, but if he doesn't, then we're fine. But if either of those other two scenarios happen, that's when we're really going to be tested. Yeah, that that would stress the democracy. Look, when you said surprise me, do you mean someone like under Trump that's close, or you mean actually find something on him? Uh, I would be very surprised if someone close to him doesn't be busted. Um, personally, I would lean towards something with him. I think it's less likely to be a direct link for the campaign, which still seems to be getting a lot of the focus, but more likely to be a money laundering type situation. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's always reacted strongest whenever his financial stuff comes up. I mean, he still hasn't released the tax yeah. concerns. That seems to be where he's actually concerned versus the campaign yeah, the stuff, which I think would be much harder to prove, even if it happens. Now, my other, um, the other side of this that I wanted to look at was, what do you say, and I feel like this a little bit, it's hypothetical, but to some degree, what do you say to the part where, and we'll, we'll tackle what he's done to the culture and what he's done by attacking the institutions and maybe he's weakening them. But what do you say to the fact that maybe, like, he's not done a whole lot. He's got tax cuts, but that's not something that's unusual for a Republican to do. But that in his actions, he's reacted like a traditional Republican, even though he's shameful in words and kind of a sticks and stones may, may break my bones or words never hurt me. But his actions are traditional Republican, and he's not really hurting that much because he's just talking shit on Twitter. So, yeah, from the liberal perspective, the upside to his being president is 
Republicans have been much less successful in actually pushing their agenda. Like if a Ted their Cruz, <laughs> right? Like if Ted Cruz is in office, much better. They probably get the health care thing done. I don't know if like a Kasich or a Bush would have actually continued to try on health care, which also might have been good for Republicans because then they would have wasted all that time. They could have done tax quicker. They could be moving on to other things. I mean, yeah, the upside is he's ineffective. The downside is more from, I think, a foreign policy perspective where you'd really like to have an adult in the room when you're talking about North Korea or Iran or Syria or whatever. Like, you want someone in charge who you trust to make intelligent, informed decisions. Obviously, Donald Trump is not that person. No, he's not at all. And so on the other side of the coin, which I think is very important, what do you think he's doing to our culture at large and our political culture? Man, that, that sounds like a big question. <laughs> um, from I, I mean, the upside from my perspective is he's really invigorated people on the left. Even people in the center to a, a certain degree, and I think actually even some Republicans who who don't, who, the ones who still are holding out, like yourself, like I think sometimes, I think there's been on the right, there's kind of been a dissent that led to Trump, and I think this has really awoken those people to how big of a problem that was. Before, it was like, yep. yeah, Fox stretches the truth, but it works for us, so it's okay. And now they're kind of like, all right, we went too far. And I think that's a good learning thing. And, well, obviously we're on the second Women's March today. So, you know, uh, you know, any other Republican wins, that's not happening, I don't think. Like, he's really driven people to be more active, and I think that's great. Well, like you said it's the institutions that you worry about because that on both sides you've got these people who – you know, Congress is just evil, and you can't trust anyone because of this and that. Like, you know, there's people on the left who voted for Jill Stein. Those are the people who are digging in even more to their crazy theories. And then you've got the people on the right who are now just completely removed from reality, where, you know, they're still going on about Benghazi. And <laughs> so I think he's, done, he's made everyone more active. For people who weren't crazy, I think that's a good thing. But for people who are on either fringe, I think it's been destructive. Yeah. For me, so I, think it's <laughs> I think it's coarsening the culture. It's coarsening our dialogue and poisoning it, even if it was going that way before. And it's making – it happened with Obama, too. It's almost like the president becomes a pop cultural thing, and, like, everybody feels like they can have it at well. Technically, I sound like a Nazi, but technically they can. But before, politics were like intellectuals, where the intellectual people were hanging out. Now everybody, it just seems so common that everybody has an, an opinion about politics, and a lot of these people are not well-informed on either side. But right now, the right seems to be highlighting it with fake news. But just the, it, 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 to me, it's like, how can we go back? How can we put the genie in the bottle and have a normal president? I don't even know if our attention spans will allow us to have a normal president like, I don't know, Joe Biden would be too exciting, but like um, <laughs> Kamala Harris or somebody like that or a Jeb Bush, 
like Kamala Harris historically, right. maybe. But could we have like a normal president? Like it just, it's, it, I can't see it going back. Well, I mean, I think one of the things there though is like Obama was a, I mean, outside of his race, he was a normal president. But I, I agree, it's the discussion around the president has become abnormal, where like. Uh, you know, I'll be open about it. Like when people say like, Trump is a piece of shit, I'm like, yes, I agree. The thing is, uh, for me, it's selective to this president. Like I said, if Jeb Bush or Rubio was president, maybe even Cruz, I mean, I, I wouldn't say strong things about that about them personally. I wouldn't attack them personally yeah. as strongly as I attack Trump because I think he's a terrible person. Whereas those and are people I disagree with on policy. But I think for a lot of people. You know? This is just the continue. Like the next Republican, the next Democrat, they will also be a piece of shit. There's no, there's no selection for them there. It's the other side is evil. But for me, it's this, this single person is terrible. I disagree with strongly with other people on that side, but I still think they're decent human beings on the whole. So I think that's where the issue comes. Yeah, I think we're on this descent that. I mean, I guess probably from the 90s, I think we've just been on a continuous descent, at least from the Clinton administration down, where it just gets more and more intense on each side. Yeah. I want a Republican, not a Republican, I want a Democrat to run and say they want to restore honor and dignity back to the White House. I want a, <laughs> I want a Democrat to say that, because if people didn't catch it, that was one of George Bush's slogans when he ran, that was a little <laughs> subtle that, uh, no, to Clinton, but... They want to restore honor and dignity, but that would be a good thing. I want a Republican to run in 2020 and say they want to restore honor and dignity to the White House. They should, but of course you lose your base. It's freaking 35% or whatever that, that won't leave him no matter what. Amazing. Like, gosh. And I, I mean, I found myself, I can only listen to like Republicans like Bill Crystal and the Weekly Standard and some of the Never Trumpers because I'm like on my last leg. Like, it's not many I can actually listen to and respect. Like Flake or people that are willing to call him out when he's wrong, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm on my last leg. <laughs> I'm definitely on my last leg with the Republicans. <laughs> uh, but it's not quite liberal enough to to make that jump. Uh, let's talk about Right, you're, you're in a tough spot now. Yeah, yeah it's tough. It, it, it's not easy. And then it just means both sides end up hating me. Uh, what did you? We're a little behind, so we won't talk about it too much. Well, I mean, not behind on the podcast, but behind with when it came out, but. What, what did you think of Star Wars, The Last Jedi? Um, you know, the first time I, I I saw it twice. So the first time I saw it, like I enjoyed it the entire time I was watching it. But as soon as it was, it was over, I was kind of like, I was hoping for more. And I still kind of feel that way after a second viewing. I think what what's the the like Las Vegas crazy decadent planet? I think that whole portion of the movie still not very good. Mm-hmm. But I think I have a better I have a better understanding of what I think he's trying to do there where he's trying to show like outside of just this war we've been watching, like the actual effects certain people are getting rich and we've got these downtrodden kids and stuff who are probably like stolen off another planet and now they're slaves basically. Like he's I think Ryan Johnson, the director and writer, he's trying to show us the broader scope. I just think it could have been done better from that perspective. One big issue for me was uh, Poe and General Laura Dern. 
where <laughs> you know I didn't realize it was Laura Dern until like I just heard the I just wasn't paying attention. I heard it the other day and I was like, oh my god, it's Laura Dern from a basketball website because of her little relationship with uh, Barry Davis. I just wasn't paying attention during the movie <laughs> enough to realize it was her. But yeah, I mean, one of my big problems there is the whole movie basically relies on them not communicating. Because that's the whole reason that Finn and Rose go. The whole reason that they, they're able to get betrayed and the plan doesn't work and all this stuff happens. All they needed to do was talk. Like, he needs to not be an asshole. She needs to just be like, yeah, he's kind of a hothead. But ultimately, he's an important part of the Rebels. So I should talk to him and tell, explain him my plan and why it's a good idea. But instead... They both just shut each other out, and a bunch of people die. And it's really the two of their fault. Yeah. And, but yeah, at yeah. the end of the movie, she's basically the leader now of the Rebels, and she's a hero. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> These two people, like, really deserve some blame for what happened, but we're just going to kind of skip over it. That was a problem. I mean, I still, again, I still like it. I don't know how – how did you feel about Snoke being offed so easily – and how did you feel about was, Ray's? How did you feel about Ray's parentage? Those are my two big questions. Uh, that didn't bother me. That actually made sense with the theme, and I don't think it's like a red herring, like a lot of people. Because I, I think a lot of people are just invested that she's—I don't know—this not a real rumor or something, but she's Obi Wan's granddaughter or whoever the hell, whatever her parentage is. Yeah. But I liked it that it was she was just a nobody, and the last shot in the movie was about like a nobody being inspired, and I liked that part um, that they didn't just give us what we automatically thought. Snoke being off so easily. I don't like the character, so I'm willing to forgive it. But I was like, really? He's just, like, super powerful, and you just tricked him that easy? Like, I, I just don't like the character. I think there's too much of straight emulation of the previous, not the previous, but the original trilogy. Like, you can give nods without literally having an apprentice, literally having another Palpatine character, literally having another Luke character. Like, I don't think you just need to repeat the archetypes and tell the same damn story. Like, that bothers me, we're seeing it the second time. Yeah, because those two things have been two of the things that have really gotten a lot of attention and a lot of criticism, and those are the two my two favorite parts of the movie, <laughs> the choices they made there. <laughs> because I think the raised parents thing is... It. The, the raised parents thing is so good to me. It's pleasing. It felt good to me, too. But the Kylo Ren killing Snoke, it felt good emotionally, but if I didn't think about it intellectually, it it was okay. So I guess he kind of tricked him, didn't see it coming or whatever. But this guy is so, so powerful that he can get into their minds and meld them from separate locations. They so didn't <laughs> see that coming. <laughs> really? <laughs> you can make these two people get into each other's heads, but you didn't see that coming. But I'm not yeah, I mean that, that that part bothered me a little too. Like on rewatch, I feel like Kylo is kind of dis. I think at that point he's smart enough to know how far into his head he is, and so his thought process, I feel like, was very selective there, where he was just like, because uh, Snoke is saying like he's going to strike down his true enemy. So I think in his head he's not thinking of yeah, a specific person. Yeah, he had Yeah. But I mean, what that, I liked about uh, it was we don't care about Snoke. He's just kind of this, like, in-the-background evil dude. Where, like, with Kylo, we like we have actual investment in this character. So making him the ultimate bad guy going forward 
I think is a stronger position for those students to be in. And then as far as Ray's parentage goes, I, you know, if, if she's somehow related to one of the Skywalkers, it just becomes too much of an incestuous story where it's all about the Skywalkers. We're like, we have this huge galaxy, all these, you know, different species and races battling each other. And it's about just this one family over six yeah. plus movies. That just sounds lazy to me. And so, and also, did you see a Blade Runner? I didn't. I, I wanted to. My son got me to see a jacket. Okay. Well, I, no. I, won't, I, won't, I won't bring up my point then, but that may, movie also makes a choice. I think makes it a significantly better movie. But I mean, yeah, I, on the whole, I'm saying I'd say I, I mean I definitely I'm 100% with you on it's repeating too many beats, less so than The Force Awakens, but it's still we've seen too much of this already. Like I, honestly, yeah. like a bigger there was a piece in Vox where this woman wrote about she didn't think the movie went far enough. Like she liked the idea of like Ray and Kylo joining forces and seeing where that would go, which would probably have really drove people off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, people couldn't handle but that. I think exactly. that would have been more interesting. My like, biggest problem but, with the movie is that, okay. And, you know, it's just such a black and white universe that I'd like a little more gray. That's actually the one thing I liked about uh, Benicio Del Toro's character, where he's just like, you blow them up today, they blow you up tomorrow. It is what it is. Like, like I yeah. dug a little bit of gray in the movie. Yeah, there's got to be some mercenaries in war. Like, everybody can't just be like, oh, we know they're good and we know they're bad. But my biggest problem with the movie is that, well, besides the fact that I'm not into the ship stuff in Star Wars, that's never really amazed me. And half the movie was, like, on the ships and out of space and doing that kind of fighting. But I understand that's part of Star Wars. But literally, they were kind of in the holding pattern. And I felt like the movie, for a long period of time, in the <laughs> second act, they was in a holding pattern. It's like we're just waiting for this thing to happen. Like there wasn't enough immediacy in the plot to draw me in. Yeah, I, I think that's. And I, I guess I needed the stakes to be higher at different points. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Well, like I said, I think you know the the rich people planet was supposed to be you know kind of the invigorating part of the middle of the movie. And I think that's the least successful part of the movie. And I think that goes to your point because we're not – the stakes never felt high there. Yeah. And I think I that – I, I agree. Like, I think it opens great. I love that opening where they take yeah, out the And I think the ending is strong. But I, I agree. You've got this kind of middle hour where it doesn't feel like much happens. Yeah, I've been reading that, and Ryan Johnson actually uh, gave feedback on this, that a lot of people didn't like the Luke ending, which is like my favorite scene in the movie, but people didn't like that. What was your take on that? Uh, which scene? I misheard you. Being a hologram and fighting uh, oh, Kelly Ryan, the ending. Yeah, but I've heard that, I, think it's, I don't think most people disliked it, but I think people that didn't like it are very vocal is what it sounds like. Yeah, you know, it, it works for me. <laughs> I mean, because I think it works even better when he does, like, the little shoulder brush, like, come on, man, bring it. <laughs> Where it's like yeah. he's not even there. 
And also, I mean, the whole time when he showed up, I was like, why does he look all younger? Did he, like, shave? Like, did he, like, trim his beard and dye his hair? Like, what what did he do in between? And I was like, oh, the hologram. It makes sense, though. Yeah, he's, he's ready. Yeah, I, I I didn't see it coming, which I thought was cool, until a certain point in the fight, I was like, oh, shit, it's not him. But I think that was when they wanted the audience to see it. I don't think I was ahead of it. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought Luke going out that way made me sad, but I guess maybe, you know, it's time to move on. So I liked that. And it was The Last Jedi, and it all seemed appropriate to me. And um, I enjoyed it. But uh, I said we would talk about Trump. I think we, we covered a lot. But let's uh, talk about you're big on this, and I'm going to try to send you. You sent a little survey around. Um, give me your top five movies and top five TV shows, and maybe we can uh, – describe, or just give me your top five, and I'll just ask you questions about a couple of them, and you can describe them. And if we've seen them both, if I've seen both of them, then I'll talk about it with you. So give me your top All five right, movies. All right, so uh, from, I, I always like to go from five to one, because I think you leave the best for last. It's always more interesting. Um, tough, my, I really have, like, four movies that I'm, like, all in on. I'm, like, these were the four movies. And then the fifth one kind of is muddled in my mind. Right now, I'm leaning towards Logan as my number five. Okay. I just think, you know, we've had so many superhero movies, and, so, like, I generally enjoy them. Like, I thought, like, Thor and Spider-Man were really good this year. But they have a general same feeling from movie to movie. And this one, I think it's because it was a superhero movie that was really, like, we're going to bring some finality here. And that allowed mm-hmm. you to emotionally invest in it. And also, it's just really fucking violent. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the inverse of Deadpool, where Deadpool was like, we're doing all this super violence because we want to be edgy. And then Logan was, this is super violent because this would be the reality of this situation. Like, if you had a guy with yeah. flaws, he would just mutilate people's bodies. <laughs> um, number four, uh, I'd go Dunkirk. Okay. It's just... I, I, I saw that's I've seen my top four twice, and mm-hmm. I, the, four, the second time it even hit me a little more emotionally. I think it's you know it's very subtle. It's not slamming you in the head with like this is an emotional scene, but I think it's just got a kind of a quiet power to it, and obviously yeah. it's just super. Although cinematography the direction is incredible. Uh, number three, it's really, really close. Right? Am I right? Did yeah, so he should finally. Okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, he should just... finally get in for a, a best director nomination. Although it looks like he's going to lose to what's his name, Guillermo del Toro, probably for Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three, and I, well, I guess the top four real close. Top three or even closer. Get Out's my number three. Okay. And now, is, that, you, I, I, is that as good as people say, or is it like some people feel like people really like, so it's being pushed, but I guess you're saying it's number three, but you really think it's a really good movie, or is it more the subject matter that's being covered? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think it's both. One thing I'll, I'll definitely say, if, it, if you're ranking movies on the experience of watching them in a the theater, it's number one. Okay. Like, I don't think, because it's a movie where everyone gets so... I don't even know. <laughs> like, some people find it hilarious, and then it's disturbing, and you're just on the edge of your seat. And, like, 
I mean, I'll just give it part of, like, you've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Like, I never could have imagined a situation where, like, even to take race out of it, just where a guy would be choking a woman at the end of the movie, and you would be rooting for her, him to kill her. Yeah, which like, is hard to do. Everyone in the movie is like, yeah, everyone's rooting for a guy to just strangle a woman at the end of the movie. And that alone <laughs> is just like, how did you pull that off? That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it's really entertaining. But And I think that's the key is so often you have, like, these message movies. Like, even Post, which I thought was a good movie I saw the other day. But it's just, it's not subtle at all in what it's doing. And I think that kind of distracts from the power of it, where Get Out is doing so many things, and some of them are subtle. Like, I've heard, like, I never thought about, but I've, you know, I've seen, like, think pieces that are about, like, there's the one Asian guy at the auction, and how that plays into, like, what Asian Americans' role is in, like, giving white people an out and thinking, like, oh, there's the good minority that just themselves mm. up. And, like, that's not something that even occurred to me. And I'm just like, fuck. Like, he it's put so much thought into this movie. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy layer. Even uh, when Allison Williams, like, when she's eating cereal and she's just dipping in the, like, Fruit Loops into the milk. So she's, like, not actually, like, mixing the colors and the white. And you're just like, what? Like, is that, I don't even, like, is that a real thing he thought of? Probably. <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah. So many sometimes, like, even the things that are accidental in shows and in movies like this, sometimes maybe they're accidental. It's like they built a world that's so awesome that things like that either happen accidentally or we see them and draw it there because we, there's an experience that you get from a good movie or good art that you make interpretations based on the environment that's been created. Exactly. And I, I think that is one of the signs of great art is when you can do that. And I mean, sometimes people are just pulling bullshit out of their ass, but like, I think <laughs> yeah. with that movie, there are so many things to point to and make a reasonable case. They're like, all right, this is what this movie is doing right here. Yeah. Um, my number, my number two is Lady Bird. Okay. I have some friends. Hey, what's the concept of that? Me... That's the one I think people aren't as familiar about. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh I mean, Greta Gerwig, the writer and director, obviously probably most people who don't know anything about Lady Bird don't know who Greta Gerwig is, so that's probably not helpful. But, <laughs> but uh, it's inspired, like, it's not based on, it's like, she's not, like, writing about specifically her life, but it's inspired by where she grew up in Sacramento. And so it's just following this girl who's going through her senior year in, like, 2002 Sacramento. And it just kind of explores her life and the people around her. I have had friends tell me, they're like, you always overrate coming of age stories. So <laughs> maybe I do. <laughs> but evidently but, a lot of people have overrated if that's the case because it's gotten a big critical response. Right, yeah. It's one of the like three or four contender, legit contenders for Best Picture. Obviously it had the record on Rotten Tomatoes for a while. But one of the things... I also, I'm a sucker for dramedies, anything that can mix. Like, if you can make me get emotional from, like, a sadness or inspired point of view, but then also move me to tears, like, making me laugh, that's, yeah. where, like, that's what I'm here for. 
and my top two both do that. The other thing I really like about Lady Bird is it's not a movie that's just totally stuck on its main character's perspective. Like, it gives you insight into the other characters. Like, it it doesn't mm-hmm. treat the other characters as just ways for the main character to progress in her story. Like, you get the feeling that these are real people around her. Mm-hmm. And then uh, do, uh, my number one... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to prompt you to get to number one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. My number one is uh, The Big Sick, because that, that really did those things. Like, I legit was, like, on the, ver- on the verge of tears laughing, and then later on because of emotional stuff. Uh, and what's the I mean, it's just a one. really That's- well-written movie, and I mean, uh, personally, like, uh, there's been a lot of, like, there's, the, like, obviously there's always great performances across the board, and, like, the different categories, best actor, best supporting actor. I really, for me, Holly Hunter gave the best supporting actor, best supporting, I think, work of the year for me in that movie. Okay. As, uh, uh, let's not see the oh, mom go in ahead, that. anything else? Uh, no, I mean, that, those are my top five. On over an hour, but if there's anything else you want to say about any of those movies? Um, I mean, I'm really hoping the big sick can crack the top ten for <laughs> best picture, just because. But, yeah, I mean, those are my five. Uh huh. I uh, I'm behind on movies, but when you talk about them, it makes me want to get back into them. I just I kind of got gotten uh, movie and TV fatigue. Just there's so much, especially television. There's just so much out there, and it's just like, and I was so into following everything, and just I think I've gotten tired. <laughs> so. Maybe you can ground it because there's a lot of still good stuff out there, but it's just so much that, out there, especially around the television. Yeah, I agree. T- TV is where I have problems keeping up at all because, like, if comedies, I think I do pretty well because you're like, all right, I just, 20, 30 minutes, easy. Like, I can do that anytime. Yeah. Some, like, and especially once you go, get behind in a drama and you're like, okay, I need to knock out 12. 50-minute episodes, and you're just like, fuck. That's it's like forever. It really is. Even if you does. enjoyed the it's show, like, I enjoyed the last season of Mr. Robot, but I felt like there were two or three episodes in the middle, or maybe two episodes. I'm like, I didn't really feel like watching it. And then when I got through those episodes and I caught up on a weekend, it was great. I hit four. But it's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> do I really want to spend four or five hours catching up on this dark shit? And that's what I like. Like, it's not, you know, it's not an easy, you know, there's a scene where a guy's chopping another guy up with the axe. So, like, is this how I want to spend my fucking Saturday? Like, <laughs> it's like, uh, that, that's, really? how, that's why know? I've completely fallen off the uh, Marvel Netflix shows. I'm just like, you know what? I'm never going to keep up with these. I hope other people enjoy them. I just can't do it. I've dropped off some of them, too. Like, I want to watch The Punisher. I've never was impressed with Daredevil. I like Jessica Jones. I feel like I haven't watched – I only watched Jessica Jones, not even Luke Cage, which is a black man. I feel like I'm ashamed that I didn't watch <laughs> um, Luke Cage. But I did watch the first episode of Black Lightning, so people don't get on my case. But, uh, <laughs> so how was but that? yeah, just, it's just like – it's a lot. Oh, you say, how was it? Yeah. It was, re- it was really good. I'm like – I was shocked that I enjoyed it that much. And I'm sure, like, these CW shows usually disappoint me, at least by season two. But I really – solid pilot, and I'm a big fan of pilots. Like I, could, I could watch pilots like a whole weekend and just judge and try to predict if a show's going to work or not. I love pilots. 
But uh, but it was really good. It was yeah. Fun. No, I'm with you. I love watching like 30 different pilots, but then it's like, oh, now I got to yeah, stick with the show. Too. I don't know. Superhero, I didn't see. First one on te- television, literal television, that like had a black world, and it wasn't a big deal. It just had black characters in it, but that wasn't necessarily the theme. But it just introduced the black world, and I liked that a lot. I'm sure Luke Cage does that, but I didn't see it. So sorry, people. But it introduced <laughs> network television. It introduced the black world. But it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't like a, it didn't have an agenda. It just had black characters in the inner city, and that was their world. And I thought that was important. Right. And good, too. It re- very well executed. <laughs> I know, it, they've got superheroes. Well, I haven't even fucking heard of these superheroes. I've never heard of Black Lightning. Like, some of these superheroes at this point, and I grew up reading comics, I don't know who the fuck they are, especially on the D.C. side where yeah. I'm weaker. Like, I don't even know who the fuck they are anymore. So they've kind yeah, of uh, someone worn on the me page out. Uh, someone on the uh, I think it was the IBS page for uh, TV and movies said they like were like this is like Static Shock and I was like yeah that's the only black character I know that does like this stuff like the Static Shock cartoon from 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so it's like like okay, but you know I'll give it a shot just because I heard it was good reviews. I did watch it, guys, because he's a black superhero. Anytime you can get that, I'm willing to give it a shot. But, uh, Joe, we, we've had a good conversation. I hope the people enjoy it as much. I'll do some editing, and I'll let you know when it's up. Thank you for coming on with me. Yeah, it was a pleasure, man. Anytime. All right. Have a good one. You too.